This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything. You need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. That gets me fired up every time you are in. Where's Huddle with me, Bram, with you per usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Donation? And both are master of all things sound and video coordinator, Maxime. How's it going? Gentlemen, I am fired up to announce that rejoining us after a few weeks, the former Golden State beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current Western Conference specialist for NBA.com, and a man who briefly graced me with a story of a Lyft driver and joined our podcast before ripping it out from under me, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, good to see you. Hey, I am here giving holiday cheer and joy instead of ripping your heart out to make amends for uh, you know, giving you this emotional roller coaster about the popularity on lift rides. I'm going full promotion mode here, promoting Warriors Huddle, promoting Warrior Books behind me. So hopefully that's good enough for you to get in a good mood finally. You had me at the shirt, but let's pause and give this dude the credit he deserves. By far our most prepared guest. So yes, yeah, so if you're watching the video, you will immediately notice the Warriors Huddle shirt. But if you look behind him, Mark not only has a bookcase that is apparently dedicated only to sporting novels, which in and of itself is impressive, but the entire middle row is only Warriors books. So even if those are just props, if there's not like a single syllable in any of those, I'm impressed, Mark. Nicely played, man. Hey, shout out to my former employer, Barry News Group, championship uh, book edition in 20, let's say 2018. And then look, Andre Guadalla had a book there, Marcus Thompson uh, with The Athletic. He did some Steph Curry, Kevin Durant books. So we got it all covered. <laughs> For those of you who are hoping that we would walk through all the Warrior books that Mark owns, there you go, dude. We, you, can, you can hang up now because we finally got that information out there. Mark, you're exactly who we need. So today we're kind of broadening the scope. We're going to be looking around the league, looking at the NBA at large, not only for the Warriors. But before we do, I got a couple of things I want to do. One, a couple of normal Warrior seconds. But two, announce we have two new songs that will hopefully become a part of the, uh, of the huddle fabric here. Maxime, as you guys know, is our master of all things sound. And I've been wanting to get some songs as like interludes, transitions, because we do these same segments over and over again. And I had asked Maxime to do this a while back, thought he had forgotten about it, was getting ready to like have a segment where I was giving him shit. And then right as I was like prepping it and had some momentum, some real fuck you momentum, he sent us a text with like 
80 songs, dude. So it turns out I'm the asshole to no one's surprise. Uh, and let's debut the first. So what we're going to be doing here is our glass half full. But before we do, here's a song. All right, so you'll be hearing that in the background. You'll hear it a million times leading into it, and what it's going to do is introduce the glass half full. Before I ask you a question, Mark, let's go to Maxime. Maxime, when you gave me that, when you sent them out, was there an FU component to it? Was like Because we had been talking about give me the songs, and it had been a long while. Did you enjoy pressing send on that text, or is that just my own imagined emotion? <laughs> I had a great time pressing send on that text. But it wasn't just as an FU, right? Like, I mean, I actually, I, re I really enjoy putting little beats together and, uh, you know, it was fun to work on some different stuff. I hadn't made a bunch of trap beats before, so it was nice to play around with those kind of things. I'm not sure if you meant to say it wasn't an FU because what you said, it wasn't just an FU, which is a weird way to phrase that. Uh, don't give me any clarity. Instead, glass half full, boys. Uh, normally, we look back, you give me something you like and don't flip it. All right, so I promise this will be the only super canned Thanksgiving theme thing we do. But Thanksgiving is only a couple days from today. So instead of something you like or don't, give me something you are thankful for in your sporting lives. Mark, why don't we start with you? Well, I don't want to do the whole cliche of, hey, I'm grateful to cover the NBA or grateful to be on the Warriors title <laughs> podcast, being with amazing friends, right? Um, what I'm grateful for is the NBA is just unpredictable, whether it's Entertaining games, bad games, great games, blowouts. Like, you never know what's going to happen. And for all the surprises at the beginning of this season with some success stories like the Utah Jazz or for some question mark stories like the Golden State Warriors, the reality is I'm thankful that, you know, there's still plenty of time for there to be clarity. For all the angst about everything, the separation between the number one team in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz, and the Warriors who are currently, like, out of the playing tournament, is three and a half games. So uh, there's a lot more time for all this mess to sort itself out. And from a writer's standpoint, I'm always about stories and content. So I'll be uh, entertained to see how those puzzle pieces start fitting together. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'll give you something I'm thankful for. And it's not breaking any new ground, but it needs to be said. I'm thankful for Steph Curry. So there's different ways that we can think about this. Yeah, I've watched this team and I've watched people come through it. I've watched Tim Hardaway or Van Exel, Antoine Jameson, Mookie Blaylock, Gilbert Arenas, all these people who I thought taught me what it meant to be a star. Then Steph Curry comes in and shows us the definition of what it means to be a generational player. But I'll take that a step further, boys. I've also watched entertainment stars in my life. Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, movie stars, people who have provided entertainment on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Fucking Steph Curry belongs at the top of that list as well. If there is somebody in my entertainment life who has provided me more joy, more satisfaction, just a better time, over the last, whatever it's been, decade and a half, I don't know who the fuck it's been. So who am I thankful of? SC30, man. And I'm, you know, I, I could not be more lucky to have him be a part of my sporting life. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll piggyback on that. I'm most thankful and not breaking new ground either, but just for the Warriors being a team that you can root for. I think it's easy to get lost in the um, – 
the dynamic and the fact that we've won so much that it becomes expectation. Um, and for longtime fans, I know, you know, we, we suffered through a lot, but this is just a, an amazing time to be in a Warriors, be a Warriors fan. You see the, us trying to straddle, um, you know, like making the most out of Steph, Clay and Dre's window before it closes and saying, oh, we also have the next generation. And when the Steph, Clay and Dre and Wiggins sit down for a game, we get blown out by 35. It reminds you like, okay, there's a difference between this current window and the next one. So, um, you know, I, I just am thankful and appreciative that we get to watch you know, generational talents and all-time best shooters and all-time best backcourt and potential, in his mind, best defensive player ever to play the game, um, you know, on the court at the same time. And it's it's just a good time to be a Warriors fan and, you know, win or lose. The fact that we have a chance, a puncher's chance every time to win a championship is just fun. Maxine, what do you got? Two words. Actually, one word, just twice. Night, night. Like, I mean, everything that that encapsulates, you know, it's it's uh, it's cocky without being uh, over the top or rude. I, I actually I was just shopping for my nieces and nephews for Christmas and we were looking at all these different books and I came across Steph's um, children's book that he wrote. I don't know if any of you guys have leafed through it. I mean, it's sweet. You know, it's um, the 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 whole point of the books. Uh, spoiler alert is basically like your superpower is your heart. Right. It's your commitment to what you're what you want to do and your commitment to seeing it through. And you don't have to necessarily be the most talented to end up being successful in whatever it is that you're trying to do. And that's just the epitome of Seth Curry. So I'm also grateful for the way that he shows up for all of us that makes all of us feel like we can actually do something, right? LeBron is amazing, but he's this freak athlete. He's this person that you look at and you say, I can't possibly be like this. He's a different species. I look at Steph and granted, I mean, he's 6'4", 6'3", whatever you want to call it. Um, but he makes he feels like an everyman. Uh, and so that combination, all of that sort of stuff, all the way down to the night night, it just feels like that that could be me, even though I know that uh, he's on another level, too. That gives me an idea for a kid's book. I need to reach out to Steph Curry and see if we can do this together. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you guys remember this book. It's in the top of my mind because I got a seven-year-old. But there's a book called Goodnight Moon where a, you know, you're putting the kid down and you look out and you, you pick out little things. Goodnight car, goodnight cat, goodnight moon, various things. They need to do that shit with Steph Curry and it needs to be night-night. And it needs to be night-nights, you know, CP3, night-night LeBron. I mean, just go through the entire uh, league and then have him going like this after every stanza. Uh, one last thing I am thankful for, and then we'll move on to our golden questions. I'm thankful that after about eight or nine of these YouTube sessions, I've learned to squint my right eye in a way where it doesn't look remarkably larger than my left. So I like we're there, gentlemen. Now you can't really tell anymore, which I am really thankful for. Let's go to our golden questions, which also triggers our second song. Uh, Maxine, what do we got there? So nicely done. Like I said, these will be backgrounds. We won't pause to uh, to celebrate them every time, but I appreciate you putting those together, Maxine. Mark, golden questions. Here's our mailbag, and this first one's directed directly at you. Directly at me? Wow. Okay. 
the last time you spoke with Mark, the Warriors were three and two, and he wasn't concerned in the least. It's been three weeks, eight losses, and a Wiseman to the G League move since. Does the funky cold Medina believe Golden State is still a title contender? Mark, what do you think? I don't think that they're still a favorite. I think that they're in that second tier of, hey, they'll they'll finish three through six. They won't be a playing tournament team. They'll be at least seated for the postseason. But I think that they have a lot of work to do. And, the you know, we're doing glass half full and glass half empty. The glass half full is that they obviously have plenty of time to rectify these things. But I think the glass half empty is these issues aren't just early season, small sample size takeaways. They are very real. And, uh, you know, while I have seen some signs of things trending in the right direction, like, hey, Clay Thompson's having a big night. Hey, they're racking up wins or ending a road losing streak. The reality is the young guys uh, still have shown a lot of inconsistency. The burden has been put way too much on Steph Curry to either drag them into ugly wins or, you know, putting a 50-point piece in a very ugly loss in Phoenix, for example. So, again, they have games to do this, but I think at the same time, because of the buffet of things they have to sort out, I'm really only optimistic that they'll be able to like solve some of those things significantly and not all. So that doesn't take them out of the championship uh, contention window, but I think it at least removes their favorite Vegas odds. How big has your switch been? So the, I said earlier, we need you and I meant it. Um, we are so close to this team. We overanalyze every win, every loss, all the moves so much that, I don't know, sometimes we're too close to the forest to see the trees, right? Um, and so you, you know, you, you've got an attachment to this team. You cover them directly, but also you have some space because you're not covering them on a day-to-day basis. The last time I spoke with you, they were the favorites. I mean, like, should we be worried if we weren't on the mics right now? And I was just coming to you and, and I told you, cause I am, I'm concerned about where this team is going. This is no longer a light concern. I don't feel like I know them anymore is, am I being ridiculous? Should I wait before I have that worry? No, I think all the concerns are well-reasoned. I would put it to this, uh, put it to you this way, Bram, and, you know, Maxime and MT, keep the faith as a Warriors fan that things will turn around, but not enough to put all your savings uh, into the Vegas casinos thinking you'll get a big payday because that might come back to bite you. And specifically for me, the turning point without, hey, being in the locker room every day, but just seeing the games from afar was specifically that, Warriors loss in Orlando. Uh, Orlando is not a good team. There were signs of, you know, them not being on the same page defensively. James Wiseman not really being aggressive enough. Steph Curry, even though playing uh, really well with 39 points, they still lose by a single point. Um, And the also fact, the big picture, that not only did that one road game represent one of many entire uh, losses during that road trip, but it also contrasted what the identity had been during the dynasty years, where for every playoff series, the Warriors always pride themselves that they always won a road game. Yeah. And while I suspect that they'll improve that record, they got that road win against Houston, you got to show that you can do that on a consistent basis. And so, um, yeah, I was kind of wait and see. It's early, you know, basically the last time we were on. But once they went through that road trip where they didn't get a single win, I thought, okay, like these things – aren't just early season takeaways. These are things that are solvable, but will take a lot of work. Perfect transition to the second question. Marcus, take this one first. Here's the question. Quote, 
Instead of attempting to establish momentum with a three-game win streak, the Warriors opted to rest everyone in New Orleans and took a predictable ass-kicking. Do you agree with the decision to sit the Stars? What do you think, MT? Right move? I think so. Um, you know, we're not playing for November right now. We're playing for April, May, and June specifically. So, um, I think it was the right move. You can't log those miles onto Steph, Clay, and Dre. Um, so, I think it was the right move. I, at the end, like I'm concerned too. I think we just have to get to the position of three, three through six, like Mark was saying. Not be a playing tournament team. And then, you know, I like our chances when rotations are shortened. We don't have to rely on the um, bench as much and, and our stars play more minutes. So um, I still think when a playoff series starts, uh, we still have probably the best team in the Western Conference. And, you know, it's arguable how we would stack up against Boston the way they're playing. So um, I think it's the right move. You got to make the most of of the health and the the miles that are left on the tires of our stars. And I think sitting back to backs is a great way to do that. I disagree. Fuck you, Marcus. I'm on the other <laughs> side of this. All right. Here's why. What that suggests is that we're preparing for a future that is no longer goddamn guaranteed. You know, like, and when this thing started, when we were the Western Conference favorites, when for sure we were going to be back in the finals and everything was looking great, yes, sit them early, often, and as much as humanly possible. After five games, they weren't playing as well. Yep, the future what is you know is what's clear. But now at this stage, I'm not sure we're in a position where we can we can guarantee that it's rest that we need. I think at this stage we need to start acknowledging that November games just might matter. But I'll be more specific. I'm not saying they got to play every game from here on out. I'm not saying that they should rest any of their stars. But the Warriors need fucking momentum. They need it. You know, and they finally had it, man. They had a good win against a pesky team in New York. They finally had a road win. They had been over that entire way. Along the way, they got Clay Thompson kind of going again. He finally got some momentum. And what did we do? We said, all right, everybody sit. We'll bring you back. No, I don't agree with that. You know, in the future, if we get going and we're right back to where we thought we should be, we're in the playoff picture. Sure, sit them. But right now, we are not in the playoff picture. We have no momentum. We have no answers. And when we finally had it going, we pulled everybody back, and we got kicked in the balls. You know, we got a, we had a terrible loss. And we're right back to not being sure exactly who we are. So I didn't agree with that. I, I think it's but, hubris. Yeah, but I, th I think to Mark's earlier point, there's three and a half games separating it. So there's no momentum clearly you know it's not like there's a few teams running away with it and we're building this insurmountable lead of games that we can't catch up to we go on the street you know and, and we're back in it so I, I think they're sitting it mostly I don't think it's only because of Steph Clay and Dre's mileage I think they're also looking at the way the rest of Western Conference is playing right now and they're saying we can get away with this because there's no clear favorite that's blowing people away right now 
there's also no clear identity for the Warriors. We don't know who the hell these guys are. We don't have a bench right now. Well, our, our second overall pick just picked up a minus seven in uh, Santa Cruz after playing a bunch of minutes. You know, th- this isn't the team whom they were when they started in October. We are searching for some optimism and identity. And when we are right on the precipice of it, we pulled away the stars who allowed it to keep going. I, I Again, I'm not saying they play 82 games. I am fine with them taking a break, but the decision to do it now, when we finally had a little bit of positivity, I don't agree with. I think that they should have taken this momentum and allowed it to build a little bit further. Mark, where are you on this? Hey, Bram, I'm going to say something. It's not just to get back into your good graces, but I agree with your take. I think no. philosophically, right move, wrong game. They rest these guys the first game of the back-to-back against the Houston Rockets, which is one of the worst teams in the NBA, and then have a full roster against a Pelicans team that's actually really great. But philosophically, I do understand Steve Kerr's thought process, but that in and of itself shows a disconcerting picture here. They needed Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to go balls out just to win against the Houston Rockets, and then they were exhausted of all their energy. And so Steve Kerr did not want to overextend them against New Orleans. I think it was also a concession that even if Steve Kerr played his entire roster, they would have lost the Pelicans anyway. So I think that that is a contrast to what the Warriors were dealing with during the dynasty years with first world problems of, hey, let's try to get these guys rest. That will happen. We'll be on a back-to-back against a team that is not good. That's when we can develop rotation players, tighten the rotation, develop young guys. But in this case – the opposite flipped. It was about chasing that win against a bad team against the Rockets, but then worrying about their health. And also, I think, uh, throwing up a white flag that, you know what, the Pelicans are much better at, than us at this point, so we may as well just pack it in before the game even starts. So, uh, again, right move, wrong game, understand the context, but it's disconcerting all the way around. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. And she's, I would even felt better if the Houston win was like this huge barn burning, you know, everybody sat the fourth quarter, we won by 40, um, and then the momentum's there anyways. It wasn't like that. We didn't get real separation until the end of that game. Uh, Maxime, which side of the bar are you on? Yeah, I think you you feed the hot hand. You know, we know that if Clay's hot, you keep on feeding him the ball. I think that holds true across multiple games. Um, so I'm basically in agreement with you. I think this was the right idea, but the wrong time to do it. I think the bench does need to understand just how bad they look when they pull the, the starters off the floor. That's a problem. And this really indicated in pretty clear light that there's a problem here because you can't sort of say, ah, yeah, well, the starters were part of it. And so it's these lineups that are mixed with starters and bench players. It's not all the bench. This is entirely the bench's problem. So, yes, we needed them to learn that lesson, but not when Clay had just gone off for 41 points the night before. It's the wrong time to do it. MT, how do you feel about Clay? So we're on we're on the back to back solid clay performances, specifically that last one. You know, he, he put up a forty spot and had a bunch of triumphant uh, moments where he got to walk off the floor, and you know, it, it felt like old clay. So, where are you on him right now? You were what's your panic meter on on Clay Thompson? Zero. Um, those last two games to me are are early for peak clay. Clay never plays well in the beginning of a season, and. Yep. Every year we do this podcast, everybody forgets it for some reason, at least the fans do. And then they 
go crazy. And then they're like, oh, that's right. Like, he's terrible. The one time he had a good start to the season, it was an Olympic season. And most players see a bump because they're continuing to play in the offseason. So zero on the panic meter for me. Um, I I still disagree. I think we do have an identity. I know who we are or we know who we are. And it's a team that will rely on Steph, Clay, and Dre with with Wiggins um, come playoff time. So I don't think that changes. Um, I, I think it's just it's tough. Like we sat everybody against New Orleans the first game, too. We didn't get blown out by 45 points. Um, it was a much closer game. So, you know, there's these are the lumps that you have to take. It, it is worrying that. Um, you know, GP2 and Otto Porter and Bielitsa, the veteran presence that they had and kind of their ability and willingness to play in roles um, is is being highlighted as a, as a miss right now. But I think we'll be OK. And again, if if we don't drop some of those games that we probably should have won and, you know, Orlando, to Mark's point, is one of them, probably the second sack game, even though they're on a, a streak right now then we're, you know, we're in third place and we're a game out of out of being in first. So I think it's it's a little little early to hit the panic button. There's danger on. So I'm I the reason you got the response out of me if you did. Well, one, because angry radio is good fucking radio. But more than that, here's what I'm tired of. Everything will be fine. I'm not that that's not an okay thing for me anymore. Not anymore. After five games, sure, allow it to play out. But it, we've we've seen enough of this team. We've seen enough of their deficits, of the problems, where they can't just rely on it will be fine. Not no more of that. That they need to start developing solutions. If one of those solutions is allowing momentum to play out, now that the Warriors are finally playing better, great seize on that. But I I don't think the answer is going to tumble to the Warriors if they just sit back and rely on past successes, which is what it sounds like you're willing to do. I am not. Um, and, and I think it's ready. It's time to be proactive and you know what sitting all of your fucking stars is after two wins, not proactive. It is the exact opposite. It is suggesting that all these problems we've had before are nothing. Don't worry about them. I'm no longer there anymore. I'm not saying they're insurmountable. I'm not saying that the warriors aren't going to be title contenders, but I'm also not willing to say that the problems we've had so far are nothing are going to go away on their own. I'm not. I'm glad you're not Bob Myers. Uh, yeah, well, then I, I should be Steve Kerr to come in and say we're actually going to need some of the people who can score. Meanwhile, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, that was one of the most soul-sucking, awful losses I've watched in a long time. Even fucking Bob Fitzgerald couldn't come up with anything positive to say. You know, like they were like talking about like the people's shirts and the sidelines. It was awful. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
tell you what, let's move to the look around the league and expand this focus. So, and one of the reasons is that we can't really focus back on the Warriors because there's nothing to focus on. I, I can, I'm willing to concede that a lineup red or led by Ryan Rollins is not going to make the playoffs, but we don't need to look at that, right? So that last game is a throwaway. Instead, Mark, I've had my head up my ass. Not, you know, surprisingly, but I'm not really sure of what's been going on outside of the Bay Area. I need kind of a look around the league, yeah? And so Marcus has three stories for us that we're going to lean into for a second. But before that... Give me a uh, a tour here. Start here. Who is your current favorite to win it all? If you had to come out of pocket, bet something that meant something to you, who would you bet it on? I, I don't have any comfort level on doing that. I think before the season started, I looked at the Western Conference, and it was the Warriors and the Clippers, and then a second tier below that. But I don't have the same level of confidence in the Clippers either because they have so many different overlapping injuries, right. uh, and it's very hard to judge is this a repeat of the last few seasons once again, where, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are in and out of the lineup. Same with rotation guys. Ty Lue, I think is one of the best coaches in the NBA. You guys, you know, I'm sorry, know that a a little bit uh, because of what happened in 2016. Right. But uh, he's done a great job with rotations, but like you can't, that's not a sustainable formula. Right. So I don't have any favorite for any team in the West. And when I'm looking at the East, uh, it's the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I looked at it with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics as the favorites, but there's not really a lot of separation uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which have surpassed my expectations. And then underneath those teams, it's just a hot mess of Brooklyn Nets dysfunction, Philadelphia 76ers dysfunction, and then a bunch of other teams that are just average, solid, and eh, like doesn't excite you, doesn't worry you, but they're irrelevant, right? So – Uh, I think with that, maybe that calms some nerves among Warrior fans, including yourself, that this doesn't take the Warriors out of the picture. But the unfortunate reality is no one else is in the picture because of every team dealing with their own disjointed mess. Yeah, I mean, the the Warriors train hasn't left the station, but most of the other trains aren't too far ahead of them. I'm hearing you guys. I understand the season isn't over and there's still a lot of ways to – to catch back up, the Vegas odds for what it's worth: Milwaukee five to one, Boston five to one, Phoenix seven to one, Warrior seven to one, and then the Clips seven and a half to one. Um, I haven't been paying attention, as I just mentioned. If I had to bet, it'd be Milwaukee at five to one, but I, I don't view them as like a guarantee in any way. Um, does anybody have another pick? Yeah, I'd put money on Boston. I mean, you know, losing Udoka is going to be a little rough when games matter um, just because it's hard to, to, you know, make that up. But um, I still think their offseason pickup of Brogdon was uh, criminally underrated. Um, And, you know, it doesn't look like Gallinari is coming back. But if he does, for some reason, that's just another outside shooter. Um, And they've had a year. They had the sour taste of losing in the finals in their mouth like – I would just put money on them to beat the Bucks and, and and beat us in the finals. They've got a swagger. They've got. I mean, Boston does. Boston has a swagger this year, an FU, and it's led by Tatum, from what I can tell. Um, he seems to have really kind of seized on to how good he could be. How about MVP? Um, is there a favorite to that? If you guys had to pick an MVP in this early season, who would it be? Shy Gilgeous. <laughs> I was going to say, Shy Gilgis Alexander is my dark horse. 
<clears throat> Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, this is all this is all fluid, but as of now, I think Luka Doncic. Um, you know, the the Mavericks have their own issues where Luka's playing amazing, but they're trying not to rely on him too much. But without that definitive second score with Jalen Brunson's departure, like his workload just been. Uh, incredible, and no matter what the Mavs say of trying to level that off, the, the best course of action is just to lean on Luca and see what he does. So uh, I, I think he, he'll continue to produce those numbers and then get that trophy, as well as the scoring title. How many wins does OKC have? Uh, they are, let's see, 12th just behind Golden State, seven, seven and a half game behind the Warriors. Yeah, so that that's exactly why I was asking. Um, if we are putting a team with that amount of wins into MVP consideration, then Steph, uh, I mean, he's, he's having, if not the best year he's ever had, right in the conversation, it's right around 2016. We're on the other side of a 50-point game where he shot well above 50%. With all due respect to the new shiny car smell of SGA, I'm going Steph 10 times out of 10 if we are considering teams that are below 500, you know? Um, and if it's not that, I know Jaws having a pretty big year. I hate saying that into this microphone and just like, Mark said you can't have the conversation without at least throwing Luca out there, um, which is what it is. Maxime, who's your title favorite? The, oh, title favorite. I, I still think it's going to end up being Bucks in the East, and I, and I really do think the Warriors still have a good shot of making it out, out of the West. Um, and I think this ties into what – I because I completely agree with you. I don't know. I think it's too early to be able to say this is who the MVP favorite is. There's a reason that this – conversation starts really picking up after the all-star break but you can see the pieces starting to form around the narrative for Steph I think it's going to be very hard for those that are voting to if we get to the end of the season and the Warriors are sitting somewhere around you know the three seed which is totally possible if not even better to have the first month that we've had with Steph playing the way that he does if he continues to play the way that he does and then the rest of the team comes back then you can see it's just like, oh, Steph is playing out of his mind. Now we're getting a little bit scared that he might end up um, winning another championship, which gives him the five rings. You see this narrative forming, right? This is sort of the end of the Warriors era. It's going to be pretty hard to vote against him, especially when he is the glue that keeps the Warriors from uh, from falling out of the playoff picture already. So there it is. I do think that the Giannis and the way that he behaves um, on and off the court still – uh, regardless of Laddergate, is the type of thing that uh, there's a consistency there. That dude is scary. Chris Middleton is hurt. So the, where they're sitting in the standings is not representative of where they're going to end up at the end of the year. There's a lot of solid foundation in that team. They're scary coming out of the East. And I get that Tatum is the new hot thing on the Celtics, but uh, I still got the Bucks. Mark, I see your mute came down, so I'm going to give this to you in a second. Just let me give you a quick behind-the-scenes story. Let's rewind the clock, I don't know, 45 seconds ago, and I throw out the uh, – how many wins does OKC have? And I thought it was the type of question that might pop up the standings up on the video thing for the video coordinator. And when I made eye contact or seeming eye contact through this board with Maxime, he gave a look like, I don't fucking know how many wins OKC have. <laughs> nothing came up on the video, like nothing. The fool is just preparing his MVP take. All right, Medina, what do you got? Hey, Bram, I'm going to say something that maybe you don't like hearing initially, uh, but it's actually going to put you in a better mood. If St- I don't think Steph Curry is going to win MVP. And if he is winning MVP, that's a bad sign for the Warriors because that means that they continue to need Steph to play at this level just to get wins. Now, let's be clear. I don't think Steph's play is going to drop off. 
It's sustainable. He's still in his prime years. He's gotten stronger each offseason. But I think that Steve Kerr is going to be an amazing defender against him by yanking him out of the lineup with limited minutes so they're not giving him the Damian Lillard treatment that Terry Stotts did uh, just to sneak into the playoffs. But I also suspect that Clay Thompson's going to get better. Jordan Poole's going to get better. And as an extension of that, Steph Curry's shot attempts are going to drop. So Steph, no doubt, he's going to be a primary factor. Why I think the Warriors are going to be great, but because of these statistical comparisons, those numbers are going to drop. But in the long run, that's a good thing for the Warriors. Mark, I don't mind telling you that initially I didn't like what you were saying. But then as we went along, I ultimately liked the take. MT, I know you have looked for stories around the league. Mark, in this segment, Marcus is going to give us the three most important stories he's found, and then we will key in on one of them and uh, drill down a little bit. Marcus, what'd you find? Cool. Just want to put a bow on this Oh, the look around the league song. I forgot all about it. Yeah. <laughs> Majestic voice there, Bram. Very good singing. Um, just want to shout out the comment on on YouTube. Um, somebody said that Zach Lowe and Kevin Pelton have Steph as the MVP frontrunner as of now. So um, there's also that going. Um, yep. So cool. Yeah. So three stories. First one, um, Laddergate, as uh, Maxime alluded to. Giannis wanted to um, practice his free throws after a game against Philly where he shot terrible. And there was a scene where he knocked over the ladder um, as people were just trying to do their job. Terrible Giannis, just disrespectful on and off the court, Maxine. Um, so we could talk about Laddergate. Uh, second story, Ben Simmons returning to Philadelphia. Um, it's been a lot made about it, um, if he would play or not. You know, obviously he's he said he's going to play, so I think, you know, big ups to him for walking into that lion's den, but we could talk about um, biggest returns of, of fan bases that hate players. And we have some experience with that with KD coming back to OKC. Um, and last but not least, um, one of my favorites, Michael Jordan Jr. is now dating Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, Larsa Pippen. So we could get into some some real deep basketball talk here. With, um, how do you think that would go? That'd be the equivalent of when Cannon Curry grows up, he dates... Clay Thompson's ex-wife, if he ever gets married. So, you know, just to like put the analogy there, that would be really weird. So just a crazy move by Michael Jordan Jr. And one you gotta gotta respect, but you know, and you gotta cool. add add a different thing there too, because there's no suggestion that there's like a nasty rivalry between the Splash Brothers and like post-retirement <laughs> and especially post-last dance. It feels like there's all types of ways that Scottie Pippen feels about Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan Sr. Seemingly doesn't give a fuck about Scottie Pippen. And now we know that Michael Jr. Jr. also doesn't give a fuck about Scottie Pippen, which uh, which is incredibly entertaining. But I'll tell you what, boys, my my vote is there's very few things that are as petty and filled with like bullshit storylines as Laddergate is. So that's my vote. But you guys tell me I'll, I'll be pushed off that if, if you don't agree. We got to discuss Laddergate. Yeah. 
That's yeah, Laddergate. Save, save the relationship stuff for the Kardashians. That makes my know. brain shrink if I were yeah. to talk about I'm that. Not stuff. above that. I'll have you know that I've actually watched multiple Kardashian episodes, but we don't have to go into why I need therapy or why I like that show right now. Hey, hey let, me, let me share this real quick. I have watched a Kardashian show. It wasn't the Keeping Up with the Kardashians, it was the Chloe and Lamar show. And I mistakenly <laughs> tuned in when that series launched, thinking, at the time, I'm Mistakenly. covering the Lakers as a blogger for the LA Times. I think, hey, like, it could be content. The first episode, it was because it showed, like, Lamar, how he reacted to not making the all-star team. So it was some basketball related. The second episode, it was idiotic, soap opera, petty stuff. And at that point, I drew the line in the sand. I'm never watching this again. And, like, it's not worth my time even to blog about. You know, and, Mark, uh, I, I regret I regret those two hours I wasted. I can associate. I mistakenly turned into seasons one through 15 of The Bachelor. And I, I don't know how. I don't know how I keep finding myself in there. It's really weird. I, I, somewhere on my television, I don't know. I'll, I'll follow up with DirecTV Laddergate, all right? Um, and, Maxime, I think we might have a video that I sent you if we can pull that up. Uh, and so, brief kind of storyline behind this thing and we got the video to show it for those who haven't been following along so Giannis is a shitty free throw shooter right it's one of the only downsides of his skill set as an NBA player and he played in Philadelphia got to the line 15 times and had a shitty night at the free throw line he went four of 15 and like the way that NBA players occasionally do when they become superstars took his frustration to post game so they're in Philadelphia but he goes back out into the court he has a single ball and I guess Giannis has a tradition or routine when things are going well, where he wants to make 10 foul shots in a row. So he goes out and he's in an empty Philadelphia uh, post game court shooting. He gets seven shots up. He's made the seven. He's got three left. And then Montrez Harrell comes out. Doesn't like that. Giannis is on the court. And instead of going to the other side, because Montrez was there to do his post game workout goes to the same side of the court as Giannis was shooting and when the seventh ball goes through the net, grabs the ball. Uh, Maxime, press play because I think we got a little bit of that. So we're looking at that now. Here's Yanis. Montres takes the ball, and if you're watching, there's actually some uh, – they've actually transcribed this. I don't know if this is right, so I'm not going to read it. If you'd like to watch it, go to our YouTube channel. But basically, Montrez, Montrez gets the ball. They have it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then Montrez takes it and goes to the other side of the floor. We can pause there for a second. The way I understand it, he's frustrated, but Yanis doesn't have a ball. He doesn't want to start a fight, right? He's not going to go up to Montrez and rip it out for him. So he goes into the locker room and he gets two more balls, comes back out again. He just wants to shoot three more free throws. That's it. He's so fucking hell-bent on it. He gets two balls. In case Montreal goes and takes the second ball away, he's fine. He has a third ball that he can shoot it. Yeah? So hit play. He he goes back in. Let's watch this for a second. Montrez still has not, uh, has not gone to the other side of the court. We'll allow that to happen. You can even fast forward a little bit. Uh, okay. So here's Yanni's coming back out. Montrez is now shooting on the other side. Yannis comes to shoot his free throws, and someone has set up a ladder. A Philadelphian court worker has set up a ladder underneath the court he'd like to use. Yannis gets upset, goes back down, and now throws the ladder out of the way, which is what we're watching right now. That's why it was called Laddergate. Um, okay, so here's my questions for you boys and why I was so fired up about this. Step one. Giannis has this like almost 
insurmountable good guy image in the league. You know, he tells fucking dad jokes at the podium. Like that's who he is now. Right. And it is not the same image as someone who would go have an argument with someone who's working in the arena and then throw the ladder to the baseline. So first question, does this impact your view of Antetokounmpo at all? No, no, it doesn't for me. I, in fact, if anything, because maybe the implication there is that it impacts it in a negative way. If anything, it makes me like him more. He's trying to get his work done. You know, it's it's part of an understanding that you're allowed to use the court after the game. Giannis is a star player. I think everybody knows who he is. This guy sitting on the ladder is not like, who is this random dude trying to put up shots? So I think the whole thing is a little bit ridiculous. And I appreciate that Giannis is putting in the work. Like he said, he's a professional just trying to do his job. That's my take on it. Can you imagine how frustrating this would be? So I, it, it doesn't change my opinion of him at all. As many dad jokes as he tells, you know he's a killer competitor. You don't do what he does on the floor without having an FU streak. But – if, you, if I'm to the portion where Montrez Harrell, a guy who is fringe, I don't think he played in the game at all. A guy who's fringe has stolen my ball, but I've decided, look, this is not going to become a big deal. I'm bigger than this. I'm going to keep my inner cool. I'm not only going to get one ball. I'm going to get two balls. And then I come out, and there's someone with a fucking ladder on the other side of the court. Yes, dude, I'm losing it, 100% losing it. It felt totally justified. But, Mark, you do this for a living, all right? This is the kind of story where if you wanted to – you could go to NBA.com and write a fuck you piece about Giannis and how, you know, we'd had no idea that he hated arena workers and had no respect for the city of Philadelphia. I mean, all of that stuff, you know, uh, a story that was entitled the city of brotherly love with a question mark and then showing him throwing the ladder somewhere. So as the professional, does this change anything? You know, what do you think? No, I, I'm on the complete opposite side of the ladder here. I'm pro how Giannis responded to this. And I'm very anti Montrez Harrell as well as arena worker. I mean, the biggest offender out of this is Montrez Harrell. He's a professional athlete. And while we take a step back, the NBA doesn't have a formal rule that says it's a requirement that players should be accommodated with their post game workouts on the basket. There's also not a rule that prohibits it. So it's just being a decent human being implying common courtesy. So for Montrezl Harold to make a big deal out of that is Bush League and it's immature and it's petty. Uh, the arena worker you have some compassion for because look, they're, uh, you know, they're getting orders from their bosses, but I know from perspective covering countless NBA games, while there is an emphasis when the game is over for the arena workers to break everything down and pack everything up, when the game ends, there's so many things that they're able to do that waiting for a player to do a workout is not going to get in their way of doing everything else. They can, you know, keep themselves occupied with breaking down the arena seats and everything else while a player is shooting baskets. So, yeah, it, it didn't look good, especially when the ladder thudded really loudly. Uh, and, you know, millionaire athlete it's a nine to five minimum wage presumably job but it's petty across the board so yeah pro Giannis and f philly
I got a follow-up question about the arena work. I'll keep that in pocket. First, for the Montrez Harrell thing, it helped me revisit a sense of helplessness I haven't had since I was like six years old. And it actually kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, from Boys in the Hood. But I can remember when you were younger and like walking around with a group of friends and you had a football or something. And then there was some older kid who asked you to throw him the ball. And if you did throw them, there was like that 30-second period of time where it was like, please, God, throw it back because maybe they wouldn't, you know? And it's just like, well, fuck, what am I going to do? There's like, I'm not going to ever get it back. And and that when Montrez took it and then stood in the corner, I can imagine that anxiety of like, what happens now? You know, like, I only have three more shots. Just give me my fucking ball back. Like, what's going on here? MT, how did that impact your opinion on either player? Um, it didn't change my opinion, to be honest, at all. Um, Harold is kind of, it, you know, you can see that he he's kind of got that weird streak in him, so it's not surprising that he would do it. But um, I think the the workers, you know, like rightfully so, did what they're supposed to do. If Giannis walks off the court, you know, to go get another ball or two, um, you know, they're thinking like, oh, it's over. You know, like Montrez, you know, won and. You know, you lost, go home is a great line, by the way. Um, <laughs> regardless of how you feel about Montrez, <laughs> saying that is 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 pretty good. But um, you know, so they they don't see Giannis. They go and like, okay, it's, situation's over. We're gonna keep doing our work. So um, you know, could You're Giannis have handled it better? Sure, but you know, he's he's. It doesn't matter. He can shoot. 100 free throws after he's still going to go for 15. He's just not a very good free throw shooter. So, um, That's you know, working on his craft, but you know, there's a, a lot much to do about nothing. I think I'll add a, there's, there's at least a little bit of distinction that we need to do. So he comes out, the ladder's there. Giannis first move isn't throwing the ladder. First move is he goes and he, he says something, you can't necessarily read it, and he tries to move the ladder with his hand so he can continue shooting. And then the Philadelphia arena worker takes the ladder and puts it back under. Like, fuck you. And, and, and the in-between, Giannis tries to move it, turns his back to walk back towards the free throw line, then turns back around to find the ladder re-established underneath. And then that's when he's like, fuck this! I'm not a fucking back-to-back MVP, dude. Like, what's going on with this goddamn ladder? Which finally leads to the follow-up, all right? There's two different ways I think you can look at this arena worker. One, he's an asshole. You know, he's and and Philadelphia sports fans already have a reputation, right? They booed Santa Claus. And so I can see him seeing Montrez Harrell. This guy works at the arena. I can see him seeing Montrez Harrell, you know, and, and seeing the whole thing play out, realizing, oh, wait a minute, we would like to beat Jan, and then deciding, you know, fuck you, I'm gonna set up my ladder. This is not for you. So Depends on how you look at it. I'm a homer. I've been a homer my whole life. You tell me that story. It happened in Golden State. There's a portion of me that's like, yes, let's go arena worker. You know, he's giving it to our biggest rival. Whereas there's another side of, no, you're being an asshole, man. You know, just let him finish it out. So which side of the ball are you guys on? Hometown hero? You know, this guy was, was really fighting back for his hometown team. Or come on, have some class and professionalism. Have some class and professionalism. And look, like, I know we're talking about the arena worker, but with Harold himself, um, look, I'm not asking for anyone to be saints, be authentic, but it's almost like this pettiness should be beneath both of them, right? <laughs> like Giannis has entitled to do whatever he wants. He didn't shoot well at the free throw line in the game. So are you that worried that extra post-practice workout suddenly going to come back to haunt you <laughs> like eight months later? No, like if the Sixers are going to meet 
the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs, which they're not because they've been underachieving. But if they are, their success is going to depend on Joel Embiid dominating and jo- James Harden proving that he can actually stay mm-hmm. healthy and durable during the playoffs. It has nothing to do with this petty uh, behavior toward Giannis at the free throw line. And it certainly is not going to do anything with Montrose Harrell's play. He's been very unreliable too. So yeah, it's just very petty and beneath and uh, beneath him and pathetic. You know, what you saying that, you know, it's even more petty than coming out onto the floor and stopping the other team star from taking free throws. If you're the other team star, You've had your free throw routine interrupted. You've gone into the locker room, and then you decide, no, fuck that. I'm going back out. I'm bringing two balls, and I'm taking my last three shots, and I don't care how many ladders are there. I will be taking this goddamn shot. Uh, Maxime, hometown hero or complete lack of professionalism? (laughs) I mean, this binary, I said actually kind of somewhere in the middle or maybe not even on the spectrum. (laughs) These, These arena workers don't necessarily just work on behalf of basketball. They turn these arenas around. I don't know what was happening the next night, but for example, after the um, after the Knicks game, right? They had like the next night was a Carrie Underwood concert. These arenas serve multiple functions. Dude was probably just trying to do his job, and that's where I, it comes back to what Mark was saying. This is this is entirely on Montrez. The the childishness. I mean, forget pettiness. The childishness to take a ball and walk away. Like, what What are you, six? This is a completely absurd situation. There's no way. The second that guy had his ladder moved, then he decided to put it back under where it was just a work thing. That dude wasn't working for the Disney ice capades. You know, like, <laughs> if, if he was there just for his job and, and Yanni's pushes the ladder, if you're there just for your job, you're, ah, you know, like, you're, you go and you talk to somebody. I'm not dealing with this. Okay, whatever. It takes a certain type of FU one generally reserved for a Philadelphia sports fan to be like, no, I'm finishing this. Like I, my job is to get this done and I will finish it right now. Cause you figure that Yanni's probably said it'll take me three shots. You know, like, I don't know. We're, we're talking 20 seconds here, man. You know, just let me do this for 20 seconds. There's no way that guy was like, nope, Carrie Underwood's coming in tomorrow and we have to get ready for that. Come hell or high water. It, it kind of tied us up in a bow guys. Cause I don't want to come across as, Hey, I'm being, sensitive to whatever is demanded of the arena workers. I just know from historical precedent that other arena workers have not gotten in the way of other star players <laughs> from visiting teams doing their workouts. There was a game in the 2010-11 season where Kobe Bryant was having one of those high-volume, inefficient shooting performances, and he decided after that game against the Miami Heat, hey, I'm going to do this strenuous workout. There wasn't an arena worker putting the ladder up in front of Kobe. And uh, I struggle to come up with specific other names, but uh, I think that in and of itself is revealing. I've seen countless times both players, home jersey and away jerseys, working on their game after the game. And again, the arena workers are doing other things. So while I myself have never been an arena worker, connecting the dots, it seems uh, for me – that it's safe to presume that they've been trained to know how to multitask with deconstructing (laughs) things with the arena after the game. And that Giannis shooting free throws, isn't this first time precedent of, Oh, an opposing team player decides to go on the floor after the game. So while I do have more empathy of their job description and, you know, them having to report to the, uh, to their bosses and what position they are, Reality is, I just know how these things work, and it just doesn't sit well with me because of that. 
I mean, it was, it was a ridiculously petty move, one that I'd be capable of, you know, but like, it, it's hard to give him any real credit. I almost wish that when Giannis had first pushed the ladder, instead of putting it right underneath the basket, he had set it up at the free throw line, you know? And then like, when he gets upset there, he sets it up between the free throw line and the bat. Like he just gets putting it in different places. Like, Oh, where do you want me to put it, man? You know, like at least if you're going to go all the way in, go all the way in and make it as awkward as humanly possible. Mark. I appreciate you. Um, you've done the impossible, man. I'm in a weird place with the Warriors, I, especially after that last game. I've been pissy in this conversation and and talking to it and seeing the huddle shirt and the Warriors books behind you. You have brought me out of my funk, and I appreciate you for people who need way more Medina in their life. Where do they go? Well, I appreciate uh, you, Baram and Maxim, as well. But for people that want to continue to follow me, and you know, God bless them if they want to do that, I'm on your pod a lot every few weeks, uh, so go there. I'm at NBA.com. Twitter handle for now is Mark G underscore Medina, and I'll make contingency plans if I need to. If Twitter all of a sudden uh, has its final days coming up. Uh, and let's see, what else? I'm doing TV work with Spectrum Sportsnet, NBA TV, doing some Radio Fox Sports, so I got all the channels covered. Hop on all of his various Medina availability. You know how much we appreciate him, and I'm sure that you do too for us. You want to support us? You can go to Patreon. You want to help us out? You can go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. And if you want to shoot us an email, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. You can send that to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you next week. Good, good.